Hi, welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. And we're here helping men communicate and build empathy. Yeah, what does that word mean to you? Could I crash right in? Uh, this oh, of is course, our yeah. Dive. We're, our deep dive, we're calling it. We're going to let someone, we're going to ask someone to talk about themselves and show us who they are and maybe see there's something they want to talk to us about maybe that they don't even know that they want to talk to us about when we start. So we're calling this the deep dive. It's our first one. And I'm going to have, uh, have the privilege to, to tell you and introduce you to someone that has already had an impact on my life. Um, this is our, our man, Adam. Hey, hey. And, and I just want to start by, by just saying a little bit of, um, you've influenced my life in many ways <laughs> and I appreciate what you've done for me. Uh, you're, you're showing aspects to, uh, communication that I thought actually most men didn't even want to go to and you're pushing me actually on that front and that's made me feel to a certain degree a little less lonely in the world I'm like usually I'm pushing people and I like that you've been pushing me lately so I just want to thank you off the, off the bat anyway uh, when we meet people we we tell them things we tell them who are you uh, what, what is your little short bio? What are some of the things that you have to tick off immediately when people say, who, who are you? Like, where are you from? And then what? Give us okay. a little short bio, a couple of sentences, who you are. So, hey, I want to uh, just answer your first question, which was, what is empathy to you? And there, because that's what you asked me first. So That was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, empathy to me is kind of just, um, you know, being, being in someone else's shoes, you know, that's kind of what it is. Feel, feel what they're feeling and understand what they understand, you know, as much as you can, because you'll never know what, you know, someone's really thinking, but you can kind of understand what they're feeling, you know, because you've felt those emotions before and you felt that feeling before. So less what they're thinking and more what they're feeling. Cause that, I mean, everyone has emotions and that's something we can, you know, both connect on in a conversation. So that's what empathy means to me. Do you take empathy, or if someone says you're an empathetic person, you take that very much as a compliment? Very much so, yeah. I mean, that's something I definitely strive for is, you know, building more empathy. And I think that's, you know, it's been a buzzword for a little bit, but, you know, it's, it's there for a reason. And building empathy and, you know, compassion and love and kindness is, it's a skill and it's hard to do. And you really have to train yourself and, you know, dedicate part of part of your communication skills to to that process so yeah i definitely take it as a compliment did you did you always think of yourself as an as an empathetic person was that always just part was that in your dna or did you was it more of a nurture thing you learned how to be empathetic yeah definitely a nurture thing um and i think that kind of goes back to our last podcast when we kind of talked about building the instagram um and building our feed to you know thousands of followers is you know, it took me a while to to be empathetic towards towards other people and really communicate because, you know, I saw it more as like a one way street of like, hey, I'm commenting or like, hey, this is my stuff. Um, and now it's kind of more of like, hey, like, let's bond, um, you know, in our denim, let's bond in our, you know, passion for, you know, rugged clothes and our passions for cool boots. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's it's more of a developed, trained skill um, that that takes you places. Oh, I. In my own life experience, um, my empathy, I think, came from watching people close to me uh, go through things and in some cases suffer very, very badly, honestly. Um, and I felt like I could not suffer for them, but I, 
I empathized. I had yeah. to, you know, I had a brother. I lost a brother the year that I turned 40. And uh, I frequently asked myself, why, why am I losing a brother? And, and, and I couldn't understand why my life was so different from my brother's. We were separated by 18 months. Um, and, but boy, like what I learned through his suffering, yeah. I mean, he suffered, it, but I, I gained wisdom from it. So to me, empathy was, was sort of a byproduct in a way of watching people that I loved go through very, very, very hard times. And it was sort of a, a byproduct that I felt their, their pain to a certain degree. But I, in a, also, I, I learned from their suffering. You know, I'm sure they learned their own thing from it, but I learned my own, my totally. own things from it. So, um, so I'm a, I, I talked a little bit on the initial podcast very briefly about my being a middle child. Mm-hmm. Are you uh, a, a sibling? You have siblings? Are you? Are you? Yeah. I, I think the uh, the brother thing is uh, kind of a, a good, you know, way into to my short bio here because um, part of you know my bio, like, what do I think about myself? Um, and what I kind of tell people, I think one of the most unique things about me is that I'm adopted and I was adopted into a Jewish family and my younger brother was also adopted as well too. And we're 15 months apart. So that's, that's a pretty big thing. Um, I think is like, okay, like you are definitely not, you know, the normal, you know, kind of family, um, that most people see. So that definitely has its own ups and downs and challenges and being the older brother, um, kind of being like the trailblazer and, you know, um, I, I would say he's better at sports than I was, but I definitely played a lot. Um, but you know, growing up, you know, I was, you know, like to talk about last time in the accelerator. Was he a classes. hockey player too? He was. Yes. Did you, is that something you guys did together? Yeah. We played on the same team for many years Holy. Uh, on there. So, but I would say hey. we were very close, like, you know, up until we were like 12, 13. And then kind of once we both like went through puberty, we, you know, got into more fist fights than communication. And now that we're older, um, the last couple of years, we've been getting more, more and more close. So that's really nice. And I'm, I'm really happy to rekindle that relationship. So actual fix, fist fights, you're talking like real oh, yeah. punches? Oh yeah. Real punches. And, and like, who tended to win those fights? Was it a, was it a draw? Was it a one of you pummeled the other always? What was that like? Uh, I won most of the fights. Oh, really? Yeah. Were you bigger than him or were you guys pretty I'm much? I'm a little same? bit taller than him. Yeah. Um, also I, you know, trained in fighting and martial arts has been like kind of with me for a while. Um, dedicated training once I started 20, um, you know, of, of really kind of honing in martial arts. Um, but I've always kind of just been a, a scrappy dude. He's been scrappy too, um, his whole life, but you know, how, I, how, how old are, I mean, now if we get into things that are too personal, you'll let us yeah, know, yeah. but I'm just curious at what age did it, were you told that you were adopted? How, how did that go? I mean, that is, that is a very unique family. Yeah, um, I remember, I think it was seven whenever we were flying to Mexico and I kind of have some mixed feelings about this to be honest, but you know, I've gotten over them. Um, but so my brother was adopted from San Antonio Texas. And I was kind of told growing up, like very young that I was adopted. So that wasn't kind of like, Hey, you're that. But they also told me uh, that we were both from Texas. So I believed I was from Texas for the longest time. And we were flying to Mexico for vacation and I was looking at my passport and I looked at it and it said, born Iowa, USA. And I was like, what? Your passport. My passport. Yeah. So I was kind of like, Hey, what's going on? And 
you know, I've never been that person where I need to like, I need to find my biological parents. You know, I need to reach out to them. I'll be honest, you know, sometimes I would be walking down the street and I'd see like a guy, you know, an older guy that kind of looked like me and just have that thought in the back of my head. Hey, is this my dad? Like my biological dad? Um, you know, th- I wouldn't say that was a big part of my life, but I mean, you definitely think about it. You know, I- I've never met them. I don't know their names. I don't know anything about them. Um, but getting back to the Iowa thing is I didn't know where I was born uh, until I got married when I had to file for the marriage certificate and I had to call my parents and I was like, Hey, they're asking in what city I was born in. And I don't know. And they're like, uh, let me look, uh, let me call you back in five minutes and Russell rummage rummage, um, along there. And they're like, yeah, Iowa city. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, sure. Like, it's not like I know. Um, so, so you're yeah, from that was farm country instead of from like cowboy country. Yeah. So yeah, you know, they, they, um, well, my brother, brother was born and adopted in, uh, so you, from just San thought, Antonio. you just thought that you were also from Texas or you, uh, that's what my parents said. I don't know if they were trying to like, you know, say that you came from together. Same place, yeah. So, so I don't know what their, their plan was on there. I've never talked to them about that. Um, but I mean, again, like, it's not like my life has, you know, been dreary or, you know, I've been depressed about it or anything like that. That honestly, like, you know, I, I, I really don't think about it all that much. The, Big concerns for me about that are, you know, medical history, you know, what was my family's medical history and kind of like what ethnicity I am. Like, you know, I, I really don't know, like, you know, my Eastern European and my Irish, you know, this or that, you know, I, I, I just don't know. And well, very early on when I met you, we were talking, you've fairly quickly actually told me that you were adopted. And, and yeah. I, that was a signal to me that you were someone that, enjoyed communication and didn't mind revealing something. Um, I happen to know another um, friend of mine who is adopted, who um, she became one of my closest work colleagues, one of my best friends over the years. And uh, she was um, adopted and she shared with you this incredible bubbly joyousness she, you guys, you both, you remind me, uh, I, I, both of you remind me of, of, of each other to a certain degree. And I, um, I, I got the feeling talking to her that it was a little bit of like my, my parents chose me in a way yeah. even beyond what most parents do to have kids. Um, I have to say later in her life, uh, in her sixties, she actually found her birth mother and she found her birth siblings. And wow. Uh, uh, it turned out they were as cheerful and wonderful as she was, and it, it became quite the story. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I just remembered that being a part of your bio that struck out to me uh, very, very early on that you had shared that with me. And did that play out ever? Where did you ever, uh, in any way, um, respond in a kind of an intense way? responding to someone or even to your parents and saying, I, you know, what does this mean? Like I was adopted and, and I have a moment where it actually caused a, um, a, a difficulty in your life. Uh, or is it really just something that was just part of the background of your life? It's just part of who you are. Yeah. Honestly, I would say it had the opposite effect. You know, um, you know, I could have gotten a way different role to die, you know, um, I could have adopted by someone, some other family. So like, you know, I, I feel extreme gratitude for my upbringing upbringing and you know how i was raised and the situation i was you know i honestly feel like i hit the lottery on day one 
you know, a very great family picked me. I feel extreme love from my parents all the time. You know, I mean, obviously we got into our stuff and there, there are some rocky roads there, but, you know, growing up being a teenager, you know, that's, you know, honestly to be expected. Um, well, it's, there's yeah. a little, a little bit of an irony, um, in our, in our connection in this way, uh, you don't know your birth dad. Yeah. Um, um, I knew my birth dad, but I was estranged from my father for the, pretty much the last 10 years of his life. And, yeah. you know, that just kind of underlines to us that our, our relationship to our dads, they're not set in stone. Uh, they, they, yeah. they change and they can change for the better and they can change for the worse. And so I, I'm happy for you as a friend to know that you always had your parents there as, as uh, loving examples and that you always felt that love. I certainly had that with my mom and I think my dad mm-hmm. loved me, but my dad was a troubled man and had issues and we didn't know till later in his life that he was even bipolar. Um, but, mm-hmm. but we could, we could talk about that when we do the deep dive yeah. and I tell you a, a couple of my secrets. Um, so, so I, I'm always curious about, when, about people's memories, how, uh, far back they go. What do they remember? Mm-hmm. I, I have a very strong memory when I was a kid of a, of a certain interaction that I had with nature. I'm just wondering, was there a strong childhood memory that you'll, you'll never forget? And do you ask you like revisit it and wonder like, wow, I wonder why that's still stuck with me. Oh yeah. Um, so my earliest memory is just some random, I don't even know why, but I was jumping up and down in my living room or actually in the kitchen. Um, I was four years old and I don't even remember why I was just happy and jumping and, you know, just filled with joy. But one memory that is like, you know, that I just have of like the most happy I've probably ever been as a person is one of my birthdays. I don't know if I was six or I was seven, but my parents invited pretty much all of the kids my age to our house. And what they did, and it was kind of a surprise, is they f- had mulch, um, like a big mound of mulch in the back. Um, and they just filled it with candy, like, you know, all in there, like big, awesome, like king size candies, like everything. So it was kind of like a reverse pinata. Um, I guess that's like the country thing to do. But um, I remember they, them telling us like, hey, that big pile of mulch has a ton of candy in it. Run down and go get it. And everyone just got up and I was just like running top speed. We were all in like costumes and stuff. Like our parents all dressed <laughs> us up. And just like the joy of all of us being like, yeah, we're getting this candy. Like, this is awesome. And we were just all like, just so stoked. And we're just running like, there and just clawing through this stuff. Throwing the mulch to the side and like. Oh yeah, we were digging through it just like. Ah! And what, you know, was, just, what was the candy find? Like you would be like, oh my God, a certain candy rocked your boat back then. What was your, what was your, your big candy? Childhood. My top three would probably be Snickers, Twix, and Crunch. Those were my uh, candy bars of choice. <laughs> uh, honorable mention, Butterfinger Bar. But oh my God, honorable mention. Uh, that is my favorite. Butterfinger. Nice. <laughs> I was a big fan up. of the, the Butterfinger BBs back in the Bart Simpson stuff, so a oh. little 90s throwback. <laughs> oh, man. Butterfinger, man. Uh, fold that into some vanilla ice cream. Little, Ooh. Uh, little Oh, man, yeah. I'm like, throw that stuff into popcorn at the movies, like Bunch of Crunch and popcorn. Oh, so good. So so when I got to know you online, I had a little bit of jealousy almost 
you look like the classic quintessential. Wow, this guy is just a happy dude. I bet it just you gave off this vibe like nothing could have possibly gone wrong for you. It was just such a weird <laughs> thing. I, I've always had I've always had a bit of a tumultuous soul. Uh, I, I I feel in certain ways that I could not be more well adjusted and more serene and more sane. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there is always a tumult in me, and and we can get into that. I'm into contrast in life anyway. I love yeah. at once being the most energetic and the idea that I could also be the most calm. Um, I love trying to reconcile opposites. It's kind of my personality. That's what I'm really actually trying to do in my life. Um, and and I guess as I've gotten to know you, I realized that you know you've had more than your share of of of, of things that you've confronted with. And and there's no there's nothing to be gained just by recounting those difficult things, but. I, I'm for the purposes of what we're uh, doing in, in in doing this podcast. Tell us a little bit about some some of the challenges that you have faced. Uh, I'm I'm just curious what how you is there a thread to them? Do you find them all in a similar area? What what are some of the challenges that you faced becoming becoming who you are, becoming yeah, a happy? Yeah, I mean, where to person? start? You know, <laughs> um, I guess we'll just start. You know, kind of in the whole. Uh, you know, junior high, high school phase, you know, everyone's trying to fit in, do their whole thing. And, you know, um, I definitely grew up in like the, the emo phase of whenever that, you know, kind of like pop punk, emo, screamo, heavy metal was like big, you know, 03 to 07 style of, you know, the 2000s. And I definitely enjoyed that phase and that fad. Uh, rock some girl jeans, you know, the guy liner. What um, is a girl jean? I, I never had girl jeans. What is that? So girl jeans were a thing before like men's super slim cuts. So like pretty much our generation like created super skinny and super slim because instead of that cut, because that like before that, like, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, the baggy cut was yeah. the thing. And so what we did, because there was no slim cuts for men, is we would go out and buy jeans for women and wear girls jeans and have them be super tight and you know just do all that so like i would play like you know like high school rock shows and like you know other you know small little venues and you know be rocking my girl jeans and you know me or a friend would be on a microphone screaming our head off you know talking about all this crazy stuff what, what were you do so you're, you were actually in a band what, what oh what, yeah and what did you do in the band um, I was either the guitar player or the lead singer guitar player. Um, and yeah, there's definitely a lot of screaming. Uh, a, couple, a couple of different bands or was it a band that you actually kind of stuck uh, No, there was, there was about three different bands. Um, so there was like two metal bands and one kind of like indie band um, that I was in. So you'll have to send video clips. We'll have to. Get, oh, geez. No way. No way. <laughs> that is in the past and staying there. <laughs> I mean, before you, you, so, so, so let's dig a little deeper into that. Like mm -hmm. the, 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 so the challenge you were in this emo phase. So what, what was this, what were the challenges that began to emerge at, at this period? You know, adolescence is always tricky for people anyway, mm -hmm. but what was your particular challenges that you saw? Emerging yeah, so I was branded as like the crazy dude. I was branded as the gay dude. Um, you know, really? uh, Oh yeah. Um, so not to offend you or anyone else, but, you know, back in the day, you know, the, the other F word flew pretty easily. Um, and there was quite a few people that called me the skinny pant wearing faggot. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I honestly, like, I never... No one ever called me... Never, No one ever called me a faggot. I got to just say... Really? But, okay. Yeah. Well, I always called I mean, it a lot. Uh, yeah. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> but, and you know, also, like... called faggot. I mean, it's just in- extraordinary, actually. Yeah. I mean, and everyone knew I wasn't. Like, I was, you know hooking up with a lot of girls because that was like the phase you know um, i actually dated a girl who's like two years older than me um you know during that whole time but uh yeah that was weird because like there was the whole there i mean there was like this new kind of thing emerging where it was like the old you know ultra macho like super baggy clothes like you know i'm the man and that's it versus and then there was kind of like the emerging you know um emotional in touch with their senses like open communication. Like I, I wrote poetry. I made like crazy dramatic images of myself, you know, what was the challenge? Your self-esteem and your self-worth were actually being impacted in a, in a negative way because of these people's comments. You oh, actually, you were registering them and feeling bad about, about who you yeah, are. Definitely. It sucked being made fun of in school. Like, you know, like that wasn't easy, you know, people looking at you like, Oh, like here's this crazy guy or like, here's this dude who wants to be a girl or like, is this guy gay or not? Like, you know, um, but you, it, did you have a, um, any, uh, uh, flipping it on its head, did you have a little feeling of pride that you were willing to be different and confront? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was it, like, it you know, it was a double-edged sword, you know? Um, like I, I was happy to, to who I was, you know, I was, I knew I was being true to myself, um, you know, but I also, you know, it, it hurt, you know, kind of, kind of going out there, you know, getting, getting all that, you know, negative feedback and, you know, luckily I had some good friends that, you know, were part of my support group on there. You know, obviously my parents were super, you know, understanding of that, um, you know, and, and they supported me. I remember my mom painted me and my friends, you know, nails black for like our first like big rock show that we went to in Pittsburgh. So like, you know, she was down with it. You know, obviously she didn't understand everything, but, you know, I had a good support group. But yeah, it was like, it was weird seeing like all the hatred and all that but you know i honestly saw like hey like are you jealous of me like do you want to be like who i am is that why you're coming at me like that um because like i'm just kind of not afraid to be who i am that's why you're branding me as crazy or something different uh that those are the thoughts like really going through my head but like you know after a while like you hear it a lot you know it starts to wear on you and it's you know not as easy it's easier to conform and just be yeah, I'm, I'm just part of the crowd. But yeah, when you stand out and you be an outlier and you really stick to your guns and stick to your morals, like, yeah, people come and challenge you, especially in an environment like high school. Very challenging. Did you get to a point where, though, that it forced you into something of a crisis where something happened as a result of this? Or was it just, it was, it was something that you just had to endure and it, it kind of wore at you? Or was there a Something uh, happened as a result of all this. Did you do something harmful in any way to yourself, or not to myself? I was never, never that person. Um, I never, honestly, wanted to truly inflict harm on myself. Um, I wouldn't say for like the um, kind of my personality on there, but there was an incident. Um, you know, I've gotten to many fistfights um, in in there, but it wasn't about the um, uh, any of the you know. The personality who I was, it was more attack on the, the Judaism. And I kind of got a good story for that, but I'm going to take a sip of water real quick. Go ahead. That's a mighty big sip out of that very large gallon of water. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Jug life. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, yeah, so like one kind of like really big moment um, in in kind of uh, in high school is uh, it was it happened in the gym locker room, and in the locker room there was a swastika um, that was etched into uh, a locker um, that was then xed out. But you know it, it, that there was something there first before it was xed out, and uh, I got detention in. Um, gym class. I don't know why I was screwing off for some reason. Uh, and so I had to stay late and it was cool. I got to watch the volleyball girls practice and I was like, right on. Um, but then I was changing to go to soccer practice and the football guys were in there. Um, and they were giving me shit, you know, just to, to give me shit. And, um, you know, I, I took all their attacks on my clothes on, you know, being gay and, you know, being me. And then once it hit, the whole Jewish thing that got me fired up. And I went over to this guy and I pushed him. And, um, then he kind of pushed back at me, fell back and I bridged up and kind of got into full mount. That's like whenever like my, you know, knees are pretty much under his armpits and I'm on, on top of him. And I choked him and tried to kill him straight up. I wanted him to die, uh, on that. Thankfully, uh, another football guy um, grabbed him off of me and broke up the fight. Um, but that was one of the, you know, kind of like pivotal moments for me of just like, you know, I, I, I've been like other like macho fish fights, but like that one was like, hey, that, that was my breaking point right there is kind of attacking, you know, like I said, like part of me is the first thing I said is that I'm adopted guy from a Jewish family. And, you know, that, that was a big part of my identity. There's maybe five Jewish families in my high school. And, you know, that was like my, kind of like my safe space, like, you know, going to the synagogue, like that's kind of who I was. Um, and I feel like once he attacked that, that's when I kind of broke. So you actually feel that if somebody had intervened, you could have potentially killed somebody. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I was 10 out of 10 rage mode, seeing red. I don't even remember the fight, like how he got there. I just remember being on top, like, you know, the, the scuffle was, was a blur, but I remember just looking at this guy and just seeing his eyes and, you know, seeing his fear looking at me like, Hey, this guy's really hurting me. Um, because I mean, I wanted him to feel like I felt really hurt and really upset. I have to admit, I've never felt, um, rage that brought me to the, to the level of harming another person. Um, I, I've certainly gotten upset and angry, but mm -hmm. I've never been in a situation where the factors all came together where I could express that rage. I was wondering afterwards, mm -hmm. um, I mean, first of all, did you get in trouble at school where you were like, you know, they okay, never you said not anything. disciplined at school. Nope. Uh, I'm just wondering how that experience, did it make you concerned about your ability to manage uh, anger? Or did you think that was a one-off and, hey, I got pushed so far? And I mean, did, did, did that become an issue like wondering, hey, I, I might have an anger issue? I wish it did because uh, this is not the first, second, or third time this has happened in my life. Um, honestly, I felt, felt very happy. I felt you know, very excited. Um, and the reason why they probably never said anything is because I you know, whooped on a guy that was probably – you know, 80 pounds heavier than me was in his full football equipment. And I'm just this soccer player and I got the better of them. So like, that'd be embarrassing for them. And, you know, I kind of always like hitting him with some martial arts, like real, like that was before I knew martial arts. Oh, okay. So that was just total, just 
innate scrap ability, you know? Um, Wait, did he actually have a helmet on? He didn't have the helmet on, but he had um, everything else. He was like, uh, I don't know if he had the chest piece on, but he had like the the legs and the cleats and stuff. And so, know. okay, so so you've had other times since that time where you've been at the point of rage and like wailing on somebody. Oh yeah, which is I have to admit, I, I'm looking at you, and you look like you have were born with a peace uh, symbol on your forehead. Yeah, and you look like you would like skip around in a flower field, being joyous. I can't. I almost can't comprehend that you got to the point of that kind of rage. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, that was, I would say there was a point in time where I, I feel like I had a completely life shift, um, and changed my entire life. And I kind of say pre Adam was like the, the pre 26 year old Adam. And then who I am now is post 26 Adam, but those times well, of my life. That, what happened there? Can we talk about that all important transformation? And yeah, yeah. So um, I mean, this is a big part of like, you know, my story with coaching. And I think one of the, you know, bigger moments in my life is when I kind of like, I realized I needed to grow up and do something different. Um, so Matt and I were living in Albuquerque. Um, you know, we weren't doing so great Matt, financially. Buddy, Matt? Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. So yeah, we were living there. Um, and we were in a guitar center, you know, um, kind of coming from like the Los Angeles store to the, you know, Albuquerque store. We were thinking, you know, at first we were making some decent money, um, but then we kind of had a slower month and I had to pay rent by taking like a cash advance on my Amex card. And that broke me. I was just like, I am screwing up. You know, I have all this credit card debt, you know, I have almost nothing to show for it. And I'm just like, this is not who I am or I want to be. You know, I imagine so much better for myself. Um, you know, when, when I thought of like when I was younger and I was like, when you're 26, like you're going to be, you're going to be really well off and like, you're going to make it. And I just wasn't, you know, I was, you know, feeling anxious and, you know, kind of sad all the time. Um, I definitely had that rage um, inside me too. And so like, just by, you know, kind of doing that, I mean, that was, I don't know if that was like my rock bottom, rock bottom, but that was a real low point in my life. And that made me realize, hey, you got to change your life so much right it's now. about five years ago. Yeah, four or five years ago. So what, how did you start that process of change? What? Yeah, so I got a new job. Um, you know, we started working for Verizon. So that kind of brought some different income and some different perspective. And they did some really, you know, good training on communication and kind of how to develop that. So I got some really good skills, like talking to people and first you know, kind words I've heard about Verizon in a long time. But yeah, so I got to say their their training was great. Everything else was terrible, uh, <laughs> but I'll I'll save that. They won't um, be sponsoring this podcast. Yeah, right? they won't. <laughs> you know what? If they had, you know, if they had a little ounce of guilt, maybe they would. Yeah, or at least you know, hook my account back up because they screwed it all up last week. Um, anyways, uh, yeah. So like, I, I met a lot more people. Um, I mean, there's I probably went from working with a team of like twenty twenty five to you know in that call center there was about a thousand people. Um, I met a lot of you know guys and girls that were you know doing well financially that were struggling financially. So I had you know kind of a bigger network to talk to, um, and we got you know really close with our friend Marcus. Um, and, you know, talk to him and, you know, how he was going through things. And it kind of just gave me some perspective on life that, you know, Hey, you know, I, I got it pretty good, you know, I, I really do. And I need to stop feeling so bad about myself and I really need to kind of, 
work with everything that that I have, and you know, I have some skills. Feeling bad about yourself the same as feeling sorry for yourself? Are those two different types of things? I mean, I I don't know. You know, I I really can't say like what my emotions were back then because it was so long ago. But you know, I was definitely feeling anxious and depressed. You know, about my situation. Um, You know, kind of just. Who did you talk to about it? Was there anybody at that time? Did you talk to Matt? Were you guys? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Him and I were super close and, you know, he got, he got me through a lot and I think I got him through a lot. I mean, we've been through hell and back together, you know, um, you know, cause we were, we were super broke, you know, we were really, really broke. And, you know, now, now we're not, we're like, he has his own company. I have mine, you know, we're both gainfully employed and, you know, in good situations, healthy situations, you know, he's got his comedy thing and got my coaching thing. And, you know, he has his you own had, You had that moment in Albuquerque of saying, Hey, I'm borrowing money to, to pay yeah. my rent. That was enough to trigger this. What's your, what's your advice for somebody who's maybe feeling a little bit a little bit um, victimized by that financial situation. What what did you literally do from that moment of knowing you wanted to change it to how did you change it? What did you actually do? Can, can you give us just a hint yeah. of what that step mm-hmm. is? So I just like wrote everything down. So I was like, I need a plan. You know, I need a plan to do this and I need a plan to figure this out. So I'm what I did- I'm going to write that. Need a plan. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a bunch of, you know, people out there that are kind of giving that advice, but I, I didn't even know where to look. Um, but thankfully I was like, you know, I need to do something. So let's just try a bunch of different things. So what I did was I wrote out every single debt that I owed from each credit card, from each installment plan to each financing thing. And I was like, cool, where's my highest interest? Like, what do I need to pay off first? Um, and honestly, I just tried to fix it every paycheck. And, you know, luckily I, um, I like stopped eating out, started bringing my food to work. That was huge. Um, you know, stopped drinking as much. That was big onto it. Um, and I just kind of realized like, where am I spending money that I just don't need to, because I need to fix this. And eventually I was able to put $500 a month towards my debt, um, and just pay it off, pay it off, pay it off. And just, card by card, debt by debt, was able to get it going. Um, I mean, that took me four and a half years to get out of debt. Um, now, knowing what I know now, I could have probably done it in less time um, and, you know, a little bit better, but, you know, hey, the, the deed's done. Uh, was, but yeah, was just- More than anything else, did you have to exert just incredible self-control? And, and absolutely. self-control is the hardest thing in the world. Isn't oh, it? yeah. And being able to say no um, and, and say it with pride. Uh, is, is, is something that, that really, really was tough. You know, the other day when you told me you were not, have not been drinking since, Mm -hmm. since the beginning of the year, we're now into our 10th, 11th month. I have never gone longer than two days without alcohol. So I'm in utter awe that you gave up alcohol for 11 months. I mean, and you, you do it with, with pride and joy, like, or, I mean, are you, how do you do that? I mean, is that a skill you had to master? Oh, for sure. And I think you got the dates wrong. So I've been doing oh. it for two weeks. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> you said for a year. No, I'm going to be doing it for a year. You're committing to it for the next year. Okay, yeah. take all that praise back. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Okay, never mind. Well, I'm still impressed because I've never gone longer than two days and you've gone two weeks. Yeah. Okay. So, 
honestly, drinking, yeah. I mean, since I, since I started that, you know, the drinking really hasn't been a big deal. I mean, I used to be a pretty heavy drinker, you know, high school and college. Uh, since I turned 26, my ability to metabolize, you know, alcohol, like I was just getting crazy hangovers and I was like, you know what, that's it. I would say smoking weed is more of the the challenge for me because um, I definitely enjoy that more um, and I spend way more money on that. But for me, it's kind of just come down to, hey, there are some like really big things I want to be doing in my life and I need a budget to do them. And where can I save money? And, you know, I had a $200 a month, you know, weed budget, you know, and I was like, I can save 2,400 bucks a year if I just cut this out. And that's going to be big for myself. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm in awe of that really. Honestly, I think that's, I mean, I, I have a real weakness for cocktails and yeah. thank God I don't have an addictive personality really. Mm-hmm. Uh, my addiction is people. I get really addicted to people and communicating with people, which is good given what we're doing. But um, yeah, for me, that social sitting with a cocktail, sitting with my martini, whatever mm-hmm. is a big part. And honestly, sometimes I feel kind of crestfallen when, when I have a friend who's dealing with an alcohol issue because I feel like I shouldn't even post a picture of my Instagram of a beautiful ice cold uh, cocktail because that's not something everybody can enjoy. But, you know, every, you know we're human beings and we fall up yeah. short and I can't just completely, I, I just, you know, my worst nightmare is going to the doctor and him telling me, uh, you're going to have to give up the alcohol. I mean, that's going to be a big one. And the first person I'll call is you and you're going to give me a program <laughs> to get me through it. Um, I don't want to, you know, you've told us about this moment and it seems like it was a very, you made a plan and you, yeah. you, 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 uh, followed the plan. Um, I, I assume there were times where you sort of fell off the wagon of the plan and how did you get back on or, did, or have you just been so rock solid since you decided to change your life? Yeah, honestly, um, it just built momentum month after month. You know, I, I honestly, um, there was one time uh, where I, I bought a pair of jeans uh, because I was like, look, I'm doing this. Iron, were they Ironheart jeans? Of course they were. Okay. Yeah, I bought um, the 633. Okay, um, you are the Ironheart fades guy. And I yeah. bought the 633 because you had them. Mm-hmm. But here's what I said. And I told myself, um, I love this stuff. I want to make a budget of, of what it is. So I budgeted into to, you know, kind of like my yearly spend onto there. And I was like, you know, at that time I was probably about 20 pounds heavier because I've been working out so much. And I was like, my jeans that I already own, I can't fit into, you know, and I was happy about that because I'd gained so much weight um, and, and muscle, but it's like, I don't have a pair or a project that I'm working on. You know, I was wearing this like $20 pair of like American Eagle jeans every day. And I was like, these are fine. These are great, but they're not me. And, you know, kind of for like an identity piece. I was like, I'm doing this. So I spent like, you know, the 350 or whatever to, to get the, the pair of jeans. Um, and I threw a party that day. Um, you know, I had some friends over and we partied all day. We called it Jeans Day. And, uh, you know, it just blew my friend's mind. Marcus, he was there. He's like, I don't know what the hell we're doing, but you're over here and you bought like <laughs> a bottle of liquor and <laughs> we're out here partying all day waiting for the, the postman to come. And uh, yeah, like it was great. It was it was so much fun, and I'm I'm glad I did that because you know I loved wearing those jeans. They still fit me great. And how many pairs of Ironhearts uh, have you had since? How many pairs of, of jeans? I mean, th- how long ago was the je- was the big jean party? We we're talking three years ago. No, that was uh, 2015. 
2015. I've had many other gene parties. Okay, since then. All right. So you've yeah. had several pairs since. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like I, a total glutton and I buy way too much crap. And mm-hmm. even though I've only bought my first pair of jeans, salvage jeans two years ago, I have seven, eight pairs already. So I feel like I'm a total spoiled brat. Yeah. I went, I went hard like from 2011 to 2014. I would say I went real hard with the denim stuff. By but by, by incredible um, uh, just self control, you cut back on your your, yeah. your unnecessary expenditures. Mm-hmm. Um, and this and- year, I haven't bought any. Oh, it's so bad. I I want to. There were so many cool things that came out, and I just I haven't done it. Um, I mean, this year earlier this year, everything was debt free. We paid off everything, so it's been tough. And wow, that's a big know. moment. Congrats. That's a bit. That's something yeah. really to be proud of. Yeah, I want to like every day. I'm like, I want to get a hoodie. I want to get a hoodie. I got that itch, but I'm just like, let's chill. You got some good stuff. You have enough to uh, send me a link through. to a hoodie that you're interested in. I want to see your definition of a beautiful hoodie. Uh, it's just the Loop Wheel Ironheart uh, hoodie. I have I have a, a Strike Gold one that's like a more of like a sweatshirt. It's like the crew neck one, and so it's super warm. Um, but I just want like a zip up regular hoodie, and it's three hundred bucks. You know, I can afford it, but it's like. That three hundred dollars could go. Outsource you one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have I have this gift card that I got a rebate for my contacts, and I also won a hundred dollar gift card um, for a contest that they did. Um, so I'm going to see if I can get it through gift cards. Um, so that's that's I'm going to see if I can spend it with gift cards. So, so we, you told us about your your romp through the candy and the mm-hmm. mulch, and then you told us about your gene party. Those are obviously two very happy days in your life. Oh yeah. Is, is, there, is there a day that was really, really hard for you that you look back now and just say, uh, that day, I mean, the day where you had to borrow money to pay the rent was a certain type of, of day, mm-hmm. but was it, was it really that day beating up on that guy and realizing that you basically were lost in rage? Was that the hardest day of your life? Uh, no, not at all. It the, wasn't. No, not even close. that it was it was a big moment in in high school and it was a big moment for me honestly like it was that was more of a moment of like hey i'm stronger than i think i am and i'm more capable than i think i am so i think it was more of an eye-opening moment even though it was you know rage and a more of a negative moment in my life um but it kind of showed me that i can you know i can climb big mountains and i can do that um, I have many more fighting stories. I don't know if you care to hear them, but I have some other. Well, I have of- a little. I have a little martial arts shit yeah. in my background too. Yeah, so you're I'm a wrestler, angry. you know. Well, I've you never know. really been in an anger fight. Yeah, oh, I really man. haven't. I mean, I, I'm, I think back. I think one time I, I probably punched a kid. One time by accident during a fake fight, I punched a kid's front teeth out. That's probably what made me not want to punch yeah. people often. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was not fun. I knew he had dental issues for years thanks to that little fun little tap. Yikes. But um, wow. So that, 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 so there, there's, is there some other category of hard day in your life? Something that was... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I will never forget this for the rest of my life. And this is hands down the hardest, most difficult day of my entire life. And that was the day, the first day we stayed at home um, after my son was born, that 24 hour period was the most stressful, the most intense moment of my entire life. Cause we were brand new parents. We, you know, didn't have the, the hope of the hospital. We were emotional as heck, you know, just hormones flying everywhere. And we were trying to put my son to sleep. 
And we, my wife was breastfeeding at the time and, you know, they said, yeah, just let them, let them suck on the nipple. And like, you know, this, this kind of stuff will come out. And, you know, we realized it was, you know, one in the morning, he was still crying two in the morning, still crying. My wife was just exhausted. Um, she had to get magnesium cause she had hypertension, um, in there and she was just all these drugs and, you know, it was her first baby. So the delivery is pretty painful. Um, so she was just knocked out and it was me and I'm trying to like have this, you know, baby, I'm trying to put a pacifier in his mouth and he wouldn't take it. I was giving him my nipple and he wasn't taking it. You know, I was trying to do anything I could to figure out how to make this kid happy. And, you know, I was just looking down and just seeing him just cry out of pure, just like discomfort and upsetness and, and hunger. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't do anything to, to help him. And, you know, that kind of comes down to our communication thing is like, he was like, this sucks. Everything about my life right now sucks. And I'm just like, I don't know how to make it good. I don't know how to make this better. And, um, you know, my wife was just so tapped out of having him just, you know, sucking on her nipples. Like they were hurting, they were painful. And she's like, I can't do it. I have to go to sleep. Um, and then I realized, you know, like, Hey, we got this sample pack of, you know, formula. Like I know she didn't want to do this, but I think, desperate times calls for desperate measures. So I whipped up, you know, a little, you know, batch of formula onto it and I fed him. Uh, and luckily, you know, he took it and, and ate it and calmed down a little bit. Um, but just that moment of him, just like my, just like, I, I didn't know what to do. I was panicking. I, I was so scared and I was just, yeah. And, and that was the toughest day of my entire life. Absolutely nothing else compares to that. Like I've been through hard physical times, you know, I've, you know, been through a lot, but that day in particular was the toughest time of my entire life so far. How long ago was that? That would be probably January 22nd of this year, 2019. And since that time, did you kind of feel that that gave you sort of a confidence? Like, Hey, look, we got through that day. Did that give you? Absolutely. Yeah. I was like, if I can make it through that day, you know, it, you know, everything's easier from there. Um, and you know, just whole being a new parent is just, it's, it's a wild card, you know, everything changes all the time. Um, and what also kind of got me through that too, is like the best day of my life, the happiest day of my life was, you know, four days before that was January 18th, 2019, when my son was born. And, I wouldn't say I'm like a crier or like an emotional person, but, um, so my wife gave birth, they took him out and again, she was exhausted. She, she had a very, you know, difficult, you know, childbirth onto it. And, you know, they wanted to do skin to skin and she was just like, no, nah, like I'm done. Like, you know, she was, you know, on a, on a whole bunch of like pain medication and, you know, on the morphine and the, the spinal tap or whatever. Um, and so that was, that was, you know, they're just like, dad whip off your shirt time to hold it down you know an hour right then and there starting now and i was holding him just you know without my shirt on just having him there and i just started crying and crying and crying and i didn't even know why it was just like tears of joy and you know i i didn't even know I, like i was just holding him and just crying and i was just so happy um and my wife had the nurse take a video of just tears just streaming down my face. And I was just smiling so much. <laughs> I'm getting emotional now. But I think one of the biggest parts of that was just knowing that 
know, from being adopted and everything like that, you know, I, I know my son and I know who he is and he knows his father. And, you know, that's uh, like someone's related to me, like actually related to me and they look like me. So that was just such a big moment in my life. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I'm 57. I've not had a, a child and uh, I've not pined away thinking I wanted to be a parent because I've always kind of felt like I've had tons of people in my life that I've cared for, like almost in a way like a parent sometimes, many people, but at the same token, um, thinking that that child exists, that, that baby of yours, because of you and your wife and your love and your connection and what you did, yeah. um, that's the only reason that that child is there. That's a very powerful, I mean, I mean, existentially, you could argue that that is the ultimate and uh, life experience that anybody can have just by definition, uh, mm-hmm. giving life. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a supernatural power, right? Is it, throughout the ages, they, you know, societies have invented systems and mythology. Um, there's a whole, there's basically a huge literature and everything from horror movies to hero movies and, and mythological fantasies about creating life. It's the ultimate power. And we are mortal. We are so fragile. We are so frail, but we have the ability to create life. So I, how could you not, how could you not cry? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a crier. I cry. I can make myself cry virtually about everything. And I'm almost embarrassed by my ability to cry because to me, everything that happens happens is a symbol. Every single thing. This conversation that we had this morning is not just a conversation that we had. It's a symbol of something. It's a symbol of the time that we've taken, the, tim- sim- the symbol of our growing closeness, our the brotherhood uh, between us. Some of the things I've learned about you um, today that I didn't know and, and um, just filling out that portrait, that beautiful portrait, um, that sketch that I had when I first met you on Instagram and I wasn't sure like how much should I talk to this dude? Do I, do I dare tell him, Oh dude, I think you're kind of interesting. I want to get to know you. Or is he going to be like, Oh, uh, you're a freak. Go away. I mean, I was so just so moved and so touched that you made me feel like a friend. And, and, and recently where you've completely uninvitedly just told me, dude, you're like, like one of my best friends. I was like, I was bawling. I was like, <laughs> Why? Like, this is like the coolest guy. Like, he really like, holy shit. It was such a gift. So I'm, I'm very grateful. You see, making me get all touched. <laughs> I'm just grateful for, for the joy that you've, you've brought to me. And anyway, um, I'm a music promoter by, by profession. And uh, you've made a lot of music and you still make a lot of music. And I'm mm-hmm. just wondering, um, to close off as we approach the 53rd minute, I think going on come bring this oh in. yeah wow it's been that long <laughs> uh, t- is there is there a piece of music uh, uh, uh that comes to mind at the moment um something that you've created some uh, a piece of uh, somebody else's music that that um just seems to fit the moment or just something that always kind of pumps you up it'd be kind of fun if we could sort of end with a, a musical moment maybe play something for people yeah so um Recently, I've been getting into, you know, I mean, you've helped me out with like the whole classical music stuff, but there is a composer, um, you know, electronic musician goes by Emancipator. 
And um, one of his tracks from the Dust Till Dawn album is called Valhalla. And that is just like my joyous, it's, you know, like my summer tune, but it's also just like, I, I love that. It always gives me just such pleasure to listen to. I can listen to it, you know, on repeat. It's just one of those songs that I can do. I mean, that whole album just gets me, but um you know that that just kind of uh that song and the you know even the just what he chose you know his moniker to go by emancipator is just like freeing it's like it it really frees you and you know i think one thing that i find out with like you know a lot of people that i talk to that are in tougher situations is that they're chasing freedom and they're really trying to be free and be their truest self and sometimes that's really hard for people so you know that kind of combination of like Valhalla, which is like the viking heaven um, it's like, hey, that's like this is like my heaven, and here's a piece of my heaven that I'm giving to you, so that you can be free. So for me, that's like one of just like if if you ask me like, hey, what's a song that I should listen to? That's gonna be like top three, like every single time on that well, conversation. The minute we we uh, uh, finish off our our video here, I'm gonna play it for sure. Um, I'm really excited to be taking this this journey with you. I'm really excited. Um, not only do I want to invite other other people that we've met mm -hmm. to join us and tell us their story but i, I want to hear more about your story um and i'm i'm excited to tell you to tell you more about mine but i just want to end by by just thanking thanking you for being open to sharing such a powerful little uh, experience that yeah. you cannot that's one thing about a partnership of any kind it's the one thing you can't do alone you know <laughs> by definition um, friendship, love, partnership—these are things we can't do alone. And um, it's it's a it's a really beautiful thing when another human being um, decides to take that journey with you. Well, thank you very much, Albert. I'm extremely grateful for you for you know agreeing to do this with me. And you know, I think this is a great thing, and we'll continue to do that. And I'm looking forward to uh, interviewing you. So I'm going to go ahead and close this off. Thank you, listeners, for listening to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast with Adam Glinsky. And Albert Imperata.